you always have to keep working. Um, you just have to keep doing whatever you can to nurture and ignite that fire within you because I really, really believe that all everything that we do is so important and really contributes to, you know, a more compassionate um, society. You know, like art matters, like what we do matters. So just keep doing it because it's worth it. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 7-0. I'm Elise Sievert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today, we are talking to documentary filmmaker Michelle Haswe. We discuss her documentary series, Happy Jails, streaming now on Netflix. People are more than just a headline. And boarding, boarding school, school is, is wild. wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Boston, I had the same lifestyle and I actually my first job in Boston was at a laundromat so I spent a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) hanging out around a lot of laundry yeah Yeah. what did you do at the laundromat um I just was the the lady there you know so people did like fluff and fold like I would do their fluff and fold you know I would just like hang out and watch tv while people would come and use the machines it was just like around the corner from my first apartment there so I was like, this is, I was right. like, this it's is convenient, so perfect. Right? That's so convenient. <laughs> yeah. Working in the same neighborhood that you live is the most amazing thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the commute is glorious. Mm-hmm. I've done it once. I had a brief period of time where I worked at a gymboree in my neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. which was totally fun and also exhausting simultaneously. But, um, but it was like three blocks on the street. And I was like, this is yeah, you could go back home if you forgot something. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Or for lunch or just, yeah. Or yeah. just to, like, yeah. children are lovely. I love children. But yeah. just to be in a quiet space. Yeah. Yeah. 22-year-olds at one time is a lot. Yeah, 20. That, that's what my classes wow. regularly really were. Good. Had about, oh like, goodness. between 15 and 24, usually, students. Yeah. With just you? Um, that so they have laws to where you okay. can't have just you. You okay? Um, they each have an, a guardian with them, but but I was the only teacher. Yes. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah, it was beautiful chaos. <laughs> um, it's so fun though. Like one of the most fun jobs. If it paid like way more money, I would totally be happy to do that. Like right. regularly, oh, because gosh. kids are just. It's so great to be reminded of the joyfulness of children. Mm-hmm. Um, on a regular basis, and my um, class in particular, a lot of my classes, I had ki- I had kids from all different backgrounds because um, I was teaching in Jersey City, right outside of mm-hmm. New York City, and uh, I would have a kid like I remember in my class with the two year olds. I remember having kids who were native to them and their families were native to New Jersey or New York area, and then I would have I had like a child that spoke Russian, uh, Japanese, cool. Mandarin. Um, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, um, Hindi, um, Pashto, like I would have like literally in one single class, these, all these kids who their main form of communication were all different from each other and they still played together and Mm -hmm. it was beautiful. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is only the world would be like that great. Yeah. Just get along, get along with that. (laughs) It was amazing. It's honestly, I think why I stay there as long as I did is I was like, this is the way I want the world to be. So let's just pretend everyone getting along. Um, so how did you make your way from laundromat to documentary filmmaker? What was that journey? Or were you already, were you already working in film at that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was when I was at Emerson College in Boston. 
Um, so, you know, I was taking film classes, but I still needed like some disposable income. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was I would always just do side hustles all the time. Know. You know, I'd like tempt. I had like a million jobs all at once. I've always been that way. Um, but all while going to film school. And then the last semester of film school took me out here. They did a study abroad, which was their LA, LA semester. And then I really um, just took to Los Angeles and just loved everything about it um, and stayed. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to do documentary filmmaking? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, So have we officially started? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, we're good. That's how we like to do it. Yeah. It like happens almost every episode. People are like, have we started? I'm like, yeah, we're totally Yeah, we've been rolling this whole time. (laughs) Um, Well, so when I was little, I've you know, always watched television. Our family, we'd always go to watch movies on Sunday, like every Sunday. Um, so I just really loved content, any content. Um, and then, so I think I just like always knew I always wanted to do something in in media. Um, my sister who's here, we'd always just goof around and play with our video camera and make little skits and plays. Um, do you remember the America's Funniest Home Videos? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had this like crazy idea that we would like make these awesome skits and it would make it on the show. But it just I love that it's never like we're did. gonna do a scripted skit to get on the show. <laughs> and it was like we didn't know our audience clearly. Um, we did fashion shows, like anything. So I was always making little plays all the time. Um, and then I went to boarding school abroad in Switzerland. Um, and there, it just kind of went into overdrive. The a theater scene there, it's a small school, but it was like a little bit of a scene, <laughs> was um, very um, um, prolific. Like they were making plays all the time. And I came in as a middle schooler, haven't, hadn't seen that ever. From it, when I grew up in Burtonsville, Maryland, I hadn't been like a exposed to that before so I was like oh my god I I was just going to all their plays and watching um these upperclassmen do these amazing productions and then I just it kind of all like clicked for me and I was like I want to do that so I auditioned for plays um and then started acting um from seventh grade all the way through till I graduated high school so initially I wanted to be an actress um but then it kind of I don't know, something changed in, for me. I just started writing more and wanting to just be involved in every aspect, um, like the way this, the, this, the stage looked and what people wore and, and the scripts and the stories. So I started, again, going you know, back to my childhood, writing plays and casting my friends in them. Um, and then I applied to film school. I was like, whoa, that's a major. You could, like, make you know, make things, like make <laughs> stories. And and so I got into Emerson. Um, yeah, and I just did my, my schooling there. And then it kind of just went on from that. How did you go from writing, like, scripted stuff into documentary? Because... And there's an element of writing the documentary story, too, but it's it's just a little bit different. It's a lot different on its face, for sure. Um, so initially, you know, I... Being an actress and when I was younger and coming from that theater background, I really loved the written word. And I loved like really witty, snappy dialogue and monologues. I just loved it. But then, um, I don't know. I just don't think I'm that great of a writer, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I got hired to do a job um, 
for my old boarding school to come back. They heard that I was a film major, and they're like, oh, you can do films. Can you come back and do a documentary on the founder of the schools, this very queen-like, amazing um lady who had a rich life so I just did that and it kind of wrote itself and I realized oh this is something that is really interesting and I could um you know work with real people and listen to their stories and shape their narrative that way and I just really took to it mm-hmm. so I, I guess it was from that one small piece that kind of like made it all set the path. yeah set the path for me um Talking about like shaping documentary, I'm very curious um, the opinion you have on like how much do you think a filmmaker should shape it and their kind of view on an issue? Because a lot of time documentaries are about these big controversial things and there's more than one side to it. And how much of a responsibility do you think the filmmaker has to show every side of the issue or kind of shape it the way they see that that they see because they're so close to the, the issue they're spending time with these people on the ground I mean that's an incredibly interesting question you know and, and I grapple with that a lot I mean for me personally I just don't believe in any hard and fast rules in film at all and especially in the documentary medium like I think that's what deterred me from do from getting into documentaries initially because I always um, thought it was very dry, like to thought the medium to be very dry and academic. You know, I love Ken Burns films, but you know, things that were like that and sounded like that and were authoritative and stuff. But it was when I discovered the documentaries of Errol Morris um, and he was just really breaking all those types of rules and using recreations and making, the, his documentaries were just so artful that I was like, oh, wow, a documentary can be so much more. So while it is a mediated experience and you are, you know, telling a story, you have a point of view, like, I don't think um, it needs to be dry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So, like, for me personally, like, I, yeah, it's, I guess it's just really hard to say. It could be, you could take any tactic, really, and it wouldn't be right or wouldn't be wrong for my films that well the two projects that I've done like they've been both incredibly personal um for me in Matt Shepard is a friend of mine um, my first film I'm actually in in the film you know and I was very close to Matthew Shepard and to all the subjects in in the thing so it was it definitely was a different type of film but then with Happy Jail I'm not you know and I and I want the inmates and the people in the jail I want them to tell their stories in their own words so it was a it was a different a different way of of doing it both of those projects had um such a strong emotion to them I don't know if that's something you led with or wanted to capture but I feel like as an audience member that that was very like the emotional journey of both of them was really strong and wonderful Thank yeah. you. Because they're both very different in like, con- like about the context of what you're speaking about, but they did have like that same feel in the sense of it was led with heart. And is that something that you strive to do? Always. And I really appreciate you saying that. And I'm, I'm glad that it, it comes through um, because I do feel like at the end of the day, what we all really care about is, you know, human beings and viewers is just that emotional connection, the humanity of a situation. So in both those situations, that's what me and my team really 
strived, you know, to portray and to do justice to. How do you stay on that when so many, I mean, there's so many factors of technical factors of how you want to shoot something or um, trying to make a product that will, you could sell to Netflix or, you know, one of the the Mm. big streaming platforms, like not letting how do you as a filmmaker not let that stuff get in the way and stay true to like the heart of the story? I think there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, you know, I love being really um, small and nimble and flexible. Um, you know, when you have a camera in your face, things kind of like change and you get a little uncomfortable and I'm very mindful of that. So I try to not production wise get bigger than what's absolutely necessary. I know it's harder for my team, but I think the end product is um, is worth it. Um, I, I'll do anything I can to not compromise that, that rapport and that trust that I have with my subjects or, um, yeah, with what's, what's going on. So um, I, I don't know, it's just like keeping a low profile, being really open, listening, like but being a very active listener, um, not just you know, like nodding and kind of glazing over and looking at my notes, like actually really listening. I don't ever like prepare um, questions, really. I kind of just go with where the conversation, like like you guys, just kind of go with where the conversation. (laughs) We get it. Yeah, (laughs) takes us and and just stay stay open. And, you know, I just really, really work to build that trust, build that rapport. I think everything that you do um, when the camera's off really comes through you know, in the footage when the camera's on, you know, I try to establish that, that ease, just that comfort level. Um, specifically with Happy Jail, what was the process of establishing that comfort level with the prisoners and also um, bringing a camera into the facility had to have been super exciting for them? <laughs> <laughs> so to stay small and to, to really capture what was happening and not like what just what was that like building those relationships with the people in the documentary well cpdrc which is the jail that we profile in the show is a very famous jail and has been famous for quite a long time like 10 plus years so to a certain extent they were very used to camera to cameras to media just coming in and out all the time shooting their dances um other little stories and profiles on on the jail so we had that going for us. They were media savvy on a certain level. Um, so they were, u- they were used to the equipment, used to just foreigners coming around. But I think with us and our team, just the, the fact that I was Filipina, it kind of piqued their interest. And they were, I don't know, there was an unspoken thing like, you get us. kind. And sometimes they would just straight up say, well, you're Filipina, you know, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. So right there, that was that was um, a, a vote of confidence for us. And just the fact that we spent a lot more time in the jail than most teams do. A lot of people just come in and out, you know, do their real quick profile on the dancing inmates, show them as sort of this like novelty act and then move on. Um, but we were really interested in looking past all of that, um, getting to know them. So we were just there for a long time. So they got to know us, they got like used to us being around all the time. And I think that broke down some, some barriers in a way and they were able to just be a lot more relaxed 
Um, we had to be low profile and had to be a super small team just because of the conditions and the, just the physical aspect of the jail. The jail's bursting at its seams. It was built for 1,600 inmates while we were there. There was like three thousand plus people in oh, there. Oh my, my goodness! Yeah, yes. so like we there would be cells that were built for just like, you know, a handful of inmates. But then when the, it was time for a headcount, you'd see like 30, 30 plus inmates getting packed in there. So just to even weave our way around, like we had to be very nimble, very so, small. So what was your team? It was myself and my cameraman usually for the bulk of it. And then we had our senior producer, Carlo Vallejo, who's also Filipino. Um, and you then, guys know him. Yeah, we've he's had been him. on the podcast. We, we had him on the podcast in like our first I year, think episode second, 27 or something. Yeah, like second that. year. Yeah. So you guys know Carlo. He's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Carlo. And then um, our sound person, Terrence Loren, who's also Filipino. So at the most, we were four. But for the majority, it was just the two of us, Craig and I. Right, and how long did you shoot for? What was that? I I'm think curious. it was um, for the principal. The bulk of the f- of the photography, where most of the series takes place, was about four months. But we went back and forth for three years, um, just picking up necessary, you know, things. Um, we'd h- heard that an inmate was getting out, so we'd fly back and shoot that, or other different types of events. Um, but yeah, so on and off for three years, but the bulk of it four months. Did you know where you wanted the story to go when you started? And how did that change if you didn't? I did not. And I usually don't. (laughs) Because I think it's more fun for me to to discover the story as I go along. I know a lot of filmmakers don't work that way. But I don't know. I I like it. No. So yeah, initially, I just knew this was something that needed to be on film and was really fascinating to me. And and I, at first, I thought it would be a great feature film, just really exploring how the dancing was possible, um, you know, why it was so successful, um, just profiling some of the dancers. But because of the timing of our shoot, we were coming in and starting to film right when President Duterte took office and the war on drugs began. We just grossly underestimated, like, how that would impact the jail. And so we were there at just this, just a perfect time where all these things ended up unfolding and happening and we just had to be flexible and had to follow and and just go with the flow um but no we did not set out to shoot a series nor shoot what we (laughs) what we ended up capturing did you because you can watch the series on netflix did you partner up (laughs) did you partner up with netflix after it was all shot was that a part of this three-year process that you knew that was the platform you wanted to show this? Well, Netflix is always our dream home for this show. I mean, it's just, it's where everybody watches everything right now. Especially documentaries. documentaries. <laughs> it's a great place I, for documentaries. I feel like there's been a resurgent, like, with, I mean, my family's from the middle of the country, and, you know, they would watch maybe the History Channel or something like that, but they wouldn't go to the video store and get a documentary. And Netflix has, like, brought documentaries into everyone's home which is really great yeah it's so cool I mean it's it's just amazing and that was our first choice for where we wanted the show to be and you know we knew the content would be like provocative and and you know it's not an American story um and they do a lot of 
diverse international um, content. So we thought that this would be the perfect home. So while we were filming, we had started talks with them and they were always interested in the show, um, but they didn't sign on until after we finished shooting. Um, and so they got involved right when we started post. Gotcha. What was that process like of getting in touch with them and talking to them about partnering with you? Because I feel like that's sometimes often a mysterious process. It is really mysterious. And it's I think it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. So for us, um, you know, with Matt Shepard as a friend of mine, um, which was totally done so indie without any, you know, industry support. Um, you know, we really bled for, for that film. Um, we ended up doing really well and it won the Emmy and we got a, an agent, Joe Amaday, to rep the digital rights for for the sh for the film, and he um, got us on Netflix, which was great. So from that, we were saying, from you know, with that point at that point in our relationship, we told Joe, "Hey, we have this new project. We have a feeling this would be a great fit for Netflix, and he has a good relationship with them. Would you mind repping repping the show and bringing it to them and seeing you know what they have to say?" So that's basically how it started. You know, it just that film led to to op it opened doors for us in a way to, to this for this project. Um, so that's how it happened, how it happened for us. But the conversation with Netflix, I mean, it was a long conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like over a year. Yeah. Of like, will they will they take us on or not? I don't know. Right. Well, I feel like I'm like taking like a left turn here. But going back to your first documentary, like how you were just saying that was what essentially set you up for the possibility of being able to do this with Netflix. Yes. So you never know, like, with a project where it will lead you. Um, but specifically, so what gave you the impetus to create that project to begin with? Matt Shepard is a friend of mm -hmm. mine. That just was something I've always carried with me, you know. So I was at Emerson College. I was a sophomore in film school at Emerson when Matt died. So, you know, I always already had that interest in filmmaking. Um, I actually remember that Matt knew about that. And we, you know, would run around uh, high school with his little camcorder and make little, um, again, skits and little <laughs> short videos together. When I think about that, that makes me smile, you know. Yeah. But um, I always knew that this is what I could do to pay tribute to my friend. You know, I also often use videos and filmmaking is just a way to communicate a way to get to know a subject more deeply and it's just my my chosen form of communication I guess so when he passed away and I saw the way his story was being portrayed in the media I I, I felt like it's hard to explain on top of all the grief and the confusion just this extraordinary anger you know that he wasn't being um he, his story wasn't being done justice. He was so much more than what happened to him, you know? Like, all you know was just he was a victim of a hate crime. This happened in Wyoming. He was tied to a fence like Jesus and left to die. But that's not what it was. This was, and I always cry when I talk about this, so I apologize. Please, there's no, you cry as much as you want. I'll <laughs> cry with you. you. you you'll never do it alone if you're with me. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this was an extraordinary human being who had 
so many friends who love him and miss him to this day. And he was well-traveled and so curious about the world, so extremely talented, um, that this was a loss. And I wanted the world to know about it. I just, I just didn't have the strength to do it yet, you know? So it took, I want to say, like 10 plus years for me to know that I could do it and do a story justice. But it was something that's always been inside me for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. What a beautiful way to pay tribute to your friend, though. Like, what what a gift that you were given that you have this this skill to share his story, so that people know what really happened. You know, and thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> know and know the human, because a lot of times with the news, it's just these sound bites to keep people engaged, and they don't. You forget that the people they're talking about whether it's somebody that died or uh, even a criminal that they put on, like that's a human being with a family and parents and children. And, you know, both of your documentaries do that where you humanize um, people that are in the headlines, but they have a story and they have an experience, which is really beautiful. Absolutely. That was one of the things I noticed too with Happy Jail is how just relatable the inmates are. And I think we so easily get to this place where we, which is the beautiful thing about, you know, filmmaking and documentaries specifically. Um, we have this like narrative in our head of who these people are, but we're not looking at the whole picture. And I feel like the fact that you guys did spend so much time with them, it was, you could totally see how <laughs> open and honest they were being with you, like talking to a friend about it. And uh, I just love, I love when you're able to see that. It's it's like beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're storytellers and we, I mean, at the highest level, what you want to do is just create opportunities for people to empathize with one another and connect to each other on a human level. And I hope that both of, my, of these projects do that because that, that's all I, you know, that's all what, that's all what we want to do absolutely yeah how are you gonna find your next one yeah I know you've set yourself up so big you have such two like such wonderful projects I, I can't wait to hear what you're thinking of next gosh I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I was like contemplating retirement just like the other day I'm like I'm exhausted I'm so tired um but yeah I, I don't well know. you can take a little vacay take a little break mm-hmm. and then you yeah. know there's no, yeah, retirement is a silly thing. You can totally, like, take a hiatus. Yeah, we'll call it a hiatus. Sometimes we get so, we get on the train of, like, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And it's like, no, I've made two, you've made two really great projects. And to take that time to kind of exhale and allow whatever's next to happen. So, yeah. yeah. I know. Well, I mean, well, when you do decide to, you just have to let us know so that we can make sure that everyone knows about all the things that you're doing. Thanks. Um, so what was it like? Um, so were you, you, you were born in America? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So what was it like spending so much time in the Philippines? That's a great question. You know, so I'm Filipino-American. My parents immigrated here when they were very young. Um, So, you know, the three, uh, me and my other two sisters, we were all born here in the States. Um, So we're very American, you know, although our family was very um, adamant about us being 
getting to know our background and our heritage, um, we would go back to the Philippines almost every summer when we were little and visiting our relatives there. But we didn't know, we don't know our language, like the language. I'm not a fluent Tagalog um, or Longo speaker. And in Cebu, they speak Cebuano. So there is always like a little bit of disconnect, you know. I guess maybe it's more of a, like an immigrant issue, but you know, you come to the country and you want your family to do well and you want to assimilate as seamlessly as possible. And they really wanted that for their children. So we went to school, we had just a, a pretty typical American upbringing. Um, but then I, and well, all of us went to a boarding school in Switzerland because my mom worked for the International Monetary Fund, and it was this cool benefit that they offered their employees to go to an international school. That's so amazing. It was a really great opportunity, so we did that. So we traveled the world um, and then would also go back to the Philippines, but never spent like a really long, meaningful amount of time there, especially as adults. So filming Happy Jail and coming to Cebu without my parents, going for work was a totally different experience. And I felt like I, for the first time, really got to reconnect to what it is to be in the Philippines and to be Filipino. And I loved it. Um, yeah, I just had the greatest time and I got to know people well especially in the jail people from all walks of life all different classes and just um really really enjoyed my time there yeah because it is super different I think as an adult looking through experiences like that because you have so much knowledge that you don't think about when you're a kid which is beautiful but also you know very different <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so that's so cool um I can't believe so you you were in school in Switzerland. Yes. For what for what years? Um from middle school all the way to high school. Oh my gosh, yeah, what so was six that like? Years. I mean, that would be my next project, if I'm going to be honest, because it is, it was wild, you know, but, um, like how wild, how um, (laughs) I'm like, tell me the things (laughs) I want to know. Well, I went to boarding school when I was very young and it was the first time I had been away from home, away from my parents. So I was like super sad, you know, I wasn't. Uh, if, yeah. And from the brochures, it looked like really exciting and idyllic and I just didn't, it, didn't really land for me what that would mean to be away from not only like your home in America, but your family and your friends. So it was really hard adjusting at first. And everybody there was um, of a certain class, you know, like this is way back in the 90s. Um, people were wearing like Armani jeans and <laughs> like Versace. And I was just like, holy, Whoa. like, yeah, I am this is a totally different world. Um, so I had to grow up really, really fast. Um, but that, that I still um, love that school and I give back to that school and visit and organize all their alumni events um, <laughs> oh my whenever I can because I really felt like it, it did so much. Um, it taught me so much about myself. It really laid a really strong foundation for, for who I am, but also like my artistic um inclinations. Mm -hmm. They had a great theater department. I really discovered my love of theater there. I met Matt there. So many of my lifelong friends I met there. Um, So I I really loved it. But there was some craziness. You know, just imagine like a a few hundred kids without their parents Parents. growing up all together, you know, and then traveling, traveling all over Europe. Europe. But what a great experience to see the world, you know, like, 
it, my brother lives in Germany, and they take their three really young kids all over. And I'm like, that's – I mean, in the U.S., like, there's really different places to travel to. Really? But yeah. a totally different culture and food and language. And it's just, like, all kind of smashed together. And it's really quickly – I don't know. It's it's incredible, I think, to yeah. have that opportunity. Well, like, immersing, immersing children and people in general in things that are completely different from them, I think, is such a great thing – as it helps you so much as an adult to kind of understand people and to not put labels on people in the same way that you do when you only really have one experience. When you travel, it really opens your eyes to how there are so many different type of people, but we're all ultimately still the same. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And documentary filmmaking does that too. <laughs> it's so true. It really circle does. back. It brings different cultures and stories to people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, traveling and getting to know all the kids at my school, most of which were from literally all over the world, like the kids you were describing. Yeah. I mean, there, there weren't that many Americans. There were people from like all over. Um, and we were really celebrated for our differences. So I think that, it, you know, my love for um, empowering other people's voices and, and sharing differences in and all of us that started from from there. So, <laughs> what advice do you have for young documentary filmmakers? Like stuff you wish you would have known when you started, or lessons you've learned. Mm. <laughs> uh oh, I feel like this is going to be really good. Or the the noise you made. I'm excited to hear what you're going to say. Gosh, so much advice. Like if I could time travel and tell yes. a young person, tell a young me. Um, well, there's no shortcut, that's for sure, as much as you, you wish there was one. And there's no one way or one set path to do, you know, what you're doing or to achieve certain goals in your career. So probably like all your other guests, what I, the best thing to do is to learn by doing. And we're in a time where that is very, is kind of easy. You can make a film, you can make a show literally with your iPhone, and it would, it would look pretty good. Um, so just doing and failing and doing again and failing and doing it again. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that Ira Glass Yes, quote. we love that quote, but you can I tell know. it. Tell us all again. Well, I'm going to butcher it. That's all right. But it's we something that I, you know, I, I, I find it. I find much solace in um, where he talks about all of us on in the creative on a creative journey in the creative field. How when you're starting out as a beginner, you're starting out because you have a certain taste level. Um, you have good taste, is what he says. But the quality of your work falls <laughs> short of your taste, <laughs> and most people can't get past that. The disappointment and rejection and humiliation you might feel from the quality of your earlier works. But if you keep at it, you know, if you are tenacious and persistent and you keep working, um, you'll close that gap. Um, so I really strive <laughs> to do that. You know, like I have this inner voice and she's a tough critic, oh. you know, and I will do my work and I just strive, strive, strive to make the work on the same level as um, my taste. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, to go back, I would say, yeah, there's there's no easy thing. It's really just about doing and um, 
following your voice, following your instinct, and know that you can only be, you are your only champion. There's not like a superman or superwoman who will come in and like green light your project for you and then all your problems are solved. Or like in my case, okay, I got a show on Netflix or our film won the daytime Emmy. You're golden. Like, no, like you ne- you always have to keep working. Um, you just have to keep doing whatever you can to nurture and ignite that fire within you because I really, really believe that all everything that we do is so important and really contributes to, you know, a more compassionate um, society. You know, like art matters, like what we do matters. So just keep doing it because it's worth it. But it's not easy. Yeah, I think I love that the first thing you said was there's no shortcut. And I also think that that goes along to not expecting a result from your art, but every day if you can do the grind of that hard work and laying that foundation every single day, that's how you build a career and that's how you build your, like what you want to be doing. Absolutely, if you boil it down, it's like that montage in Karate Kid, you know, like (laughs) painting, washing the car, like all that stuff. And then like one day you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, all that mattered. Like getting water, you know, for the people on set and like ordering lunches and um, transcribing interviews and writing really bad scripts that, you know, you keep working on, like all of it contributes and it's just, and yeah, so baby steps, one thing after another. What do you do personally when you get stuck, when you get like, if it's in the editing process, if things aren't looking the way you want it to, um, I don't know if you had uh, any bad interview experiences where you didn't get what you wanted from your interviewee? Yeah. Like, <laughs> on the daily. I'm trying to think like yeah. what I what I do and what works. Yeah. You know, because there's an element even if it's just like I go to bed. <laughs> like not I don't know. Everyone's different when they get stuck. Yeah. Like what is it eat a pound of chocolate? Whatever it is. I'm just curious. <laughs> well, my first instinct is to keep going and to power through. But that's not always right. Yeah. You know? It's really counterintuitive for me because I'm I'm like a doer, you know? Like I really like I love just the work and I'll try to like I mean, I'm stubborn and I try to like (laughs) muscle something into like working out. So my first instinct is just to like double down, you know, like if I'm in an interview, like, okay, so maybe that wasn't the right way to to do it. I'll I'll do it another way or if I'm in the edit and then I'll just sit and then just keep working at it. But sometimes that is just not what it needs. Um, So it's counterintuitive to me to kind of step back and just take a moment and do literally anything else. But sometimes, most of the time, that's like the best the, sub- the best solution to, to getting unstuck, you know? Yeah. Let your mind kind of relax a little and, and oh, let it like relax so you can open up and you get that space where like a little wave of inspiration can like come to you. You know, I don't know, but that's, yeah, that's, no, that's great. my that's two great. alternates. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I think people create in different ways. And some people are super like that continuation keeps them going. Um, and then other people really need the space in order to have that inspiration come to them. And so I, I think it's all about like being open to both of those being possibilities for you, even though one thing has been what you've done forever, it doesn't mean that that will always work for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what we do. 
you know, because it's <laughs> it is. it's hard, and there's not one prescribed route, you know, that will get you the results that you well, need. Well, our and society some- is built around nine to five jobs. Our whole, even like the way you're taxed, like our tax mm-hmm. system. <laughs> like, talk to an artist about getting their W twos and their ten ninety nines together <laughs> for, ta- you know what I mean? Like, it's just our the way our systems are in the world are not for you know, freelancers that are, you know, doing yeah. wrangling these, those 1099s yeah, is right? a beast. <laughs> and remembering, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that one day with that company. You know, it's just anyway. I mean, that's a really valid point, you know, and it's something that we have to definitely think about if we want to make a living doing what we love. You know, you can't just be, you know, a um, floating through the air and looking for inspiration like you also have to be diligent and be you know responsible and you know do your taxes (laughs) sit down and grind it out and make arbitrary deadlines for yourself do the work I mean that's something people need to know about as well you know um with people that you interview Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get people that are like no I'm not interested in being a part of this project is there anything you like when you ask do you keep asking like is it have you do you know when to like okay let it rest this person is not going to be involved or it's like maybe if I ask this way that type yeah another great question so you know I've been doing this type of work for a while and I've this is the one lesson I can share (laughs) I do know that you don't want to film someone who doesn't want to be filmed. And, you know, you, that can also be, that can also spill over into just work in general. You don't want to work with someone who doesn't want to work with you. Um, and every time I've tried to get past that and not accept that initially, it's always kind of burned me in the end. So if someone doesn't want to be filmed or doesn't want to be interviewed I just have to respect and honor that Um, because if you did manage to get them to change their mind and you do interview them I can promise you won't be that good and you probably won't even use it because there won't be that connection there Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah I just I just don't I I respect it I think that's that's a great answer. Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes I feel like, I, I mean, I've never done documentary work, but I could see like, oh, if I got this person, I mean, I guess just getting people Before on our the show, podcast, like yeah. uh-huh. we ask people all the time and they say, no, I'm too busy or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which is totally cool and understanding. But I could see if you were, if you were trying to show a story and somebody very integral to the story, that would be hard to, yeah. then how do I tell it with... You then you have to revisit the the whole idea and and really re-examine it and think about it. Like, is it even viable to do it without this person? Like, we did Matt Shepard as a friend of mine, and everyone was really wanting to share their story, but but they knew that it was going to be hard. Um, But there was an exception, and that was Logan, his, his younger brother. And we definitely wanted him to be a part of it. Um, but he said no, not like he's not supportive of the project or anything. It's just something he couldn't do, and we had to definitely honor and respect mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, because it is a lot of times it's such uh, intense subject matter that you don't want to push someone 
you know? Because mm-hmm. if you do, like, it's exactly like you said, like, it's not going to give you the result that you want. Absolutely not. And, you know, I don't, I don't take what I do lightly. You know, it's an honor to sit down with someone and spend t- that time with them and have them open up. And, you know, you, you have to treat that well. You have to honor what you've allowed to happen in that space. So, um, I guess if you just keep pushing it and not respect it, it does, I don't know, it dishonors that in a way. Absolutely. Besides um, your two fabulous documentaries, what other documentaries are in your like top five? Oh, yeah, that's that what you I was going to ask too. Yeah. Oh my God. That have inspired you. Or... Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything. I've been really um, inspired by a lot of television lately. Um, I'll get to documentaries in a second, yeah. but I love, um, have you seen Fleabag? Yes. I haven't, but oh, everyone keeps telling me to watch it. Okay. So okay, fine. Yes, I I'll love, do it. so good. Yeah, I love <laughs> Fleabag. I watched it and I was just blown away. Um, so that's really good. Um, and she just has such a singular voice and it's such, it's just so bold and I don't know. I just think She's it's amazing. She's so smart. She's just really smart. And funny. Yeah. So I was really inspired by that as of late. Um, but documentaries, I mentioned Errol Morris. I love I love his documentaries. And um, seeing his work when I was in college just really opened something in my mind, you know, to where I was like, oh, maybe documentaries can be this, you know, really amazing, unique, bold thing. So I love his work. Um, I love the work of Brett Morgan. Um, so he's a documentarian who did um, the Kurt Cobain montage of Heck documentary. But he's done, he's so prolific. He's done so many. The Kid Stays in the Picture about Robert Evans, which I think is just fabulous. So I love all his work. Um, and let me think. Sorry. Boxing. No, There's just yeah. so much great yeah. Don't content. Apologize. So many amazing um, Netflix series out there right now. Um, but I love Brett Morgan's work because it's just like he he just has like a really specific voice, and it's not um, it's it's not. I keep saying the word bold, but I really appreciate storytellers who have that assuredness in their voice and know what they want to say and aren't ashamed of it. And they just really like go for broke. So I really love that. And I just think like, you know, Errol Morris's work is so, so amazing. That's great. (laughs) Uh, My husband, Brandon, who is the one who uh, mixes for the podcast, he's going to be so excited to listen to this episode. He's like a documentary freak. He loves them. (laughs) It's like his favorite. And um, I tend to, it has, I have to be in the particular mood to watch certain documentaries because I'm, I'm so emotional of a person. It's just like really hard sometimes. And so anytime I'm not home, like last night I called and was talking, I was FaceTiming with him and he's like, He's like, yeah, I'm laying in bed drinking tea. He's like, guess what I'm doing? I'm like, you're watching a documentary. He's like, yep, I sure am. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's, it's such a great way to like feel like you learn about something too instead of that mindlessness sometimes mm-hmm. that comes with watching television. Absolutely. Yeah, like, you're like actively like, watching. Yeah. Yeah, and you're, you can talk about it at a dinner, or, you yeah. know, I don't know. You feel like you learned something. Well, and you can have, you know, you can always say fun fact, and you, it's something you learned from a documentary. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you online? Yeah. Besides I mean, Netflix, they can find your work yeah. on Netflix. I'm on, all, on the things, all the things. Except Twitter. I'm scared of Twitter, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> to well, be honest. Her last interview, which will actually come out after this, um, she got her name stolen from... Yeah, from, nice. yeah, and what? somebody was like yeah. wanting money. For, they were trying to extort her. For yeah, and she's like, "You picked the wrong person. I don't care." So <laughs> anyway, well, so, I don't have money. So, so I think it's really funny you said Twitter scares you after we just heard that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's like clearly it's very scary. Twitter, <laughs> it's scary. But um, Instagram, Facebook, and do you know what your handle is off the top of your head? Or for um, yeah, it's just my name, Michelle Husue on Instagram and then also we have Happy Jail Doc and um, for Matt Shepard is a friend of mine that's my friend Matt right yeah amazing (laughs) so check them out on Netflix they are great we really really enjoyed them thank you yeah and I think um, Matt Shepard is a friend of mine is on everything else but Netflix Netflix. right now so it's on Hulu and Amazon amazing (laughs) yeah I have to prepare myself to I watched the preview and stuff for it and I knew the context of it but I haven't watched it yet I have to like prepare oh absolutely that's (laughs) definitely one of the films that you kind of have to emotionally prepare yourself you know the end and you know it's very tragic and what's going to happen so I totally get that (laughs) well I was also like reading um on the trailer reading all the comments like literally people well no in a great way (laughs) in a great way of them just saying like I cried the whole time um and like just saying thank you for making it so it was all good things but like but yeah it's mental preparation (laughs) yeah it is because you know you know what you're gonna get into for sure absolutely well thank you so much for sitting here and talking to us and being the one interviewed for a change (laughs) thank you for having me absolutely you're a pro at it it's like you've been on the other side before definitely (laughs) thanks thank you guys for listening thanks for listening Bye. bye bye